All right. So we're going to continue our study on live forgiven. Amen. We're going to we're going to keep living forgiven. Amen. So we're starting with the verse um, from Ephesians 4:32. This is our cornerstone verse for this series. Be kind to one another and tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Even God in Christ forgave you. So we can learn how to live forgiven because God in Christ has forgiven us. Amen. Well, Father God, we thank you for your word to us today. We ask that you break it open to us, break it open in our hearts, let it bear fruit, Lord God. We just thank you that our heart is prepared to hear from you, Lord God. We lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily entangles us. All the cares and concerns of this week, Father God, we cast them onto you. Because we know that you care for us. And Father, we thank you that your word is health and healing to us. That it's health to our body, healing and medicine for all of our flesh. We thank you, Father God, for just um, bringing the restoration and the refreshing that we need today. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. So last week we were talking about how the different covenants um, were set up by God and how God used them to approach mankind. So when the fall happened and the communication between God and man was broken, it was because men, man pulled away from God, but God never stopped pursuing us. So he always pursued us with covenant. And um, we went over the five major covenants. I'm just going to do a quick recap so we can pick up where we left off. So we mentioned that there's a difference between a grant covenant and a vassal covenant. The grant covenant is where everything is just given without condition. A vassal covenant is a traditional is a conditional covenant that's made when a greater one overtakes a lesser one and um and there is a a servitude. It's a servitude covenant. Um and so the first covenant that we talked about was the Noahic covenant. And that was the one that God made with Noah in Genesis nine. We'll find it there. It's an unconditional covenant. And um, and God made the covenant with the earth. So this was after the flood. God made the covenant with the earth and everything in it that he would never again bring, bring destruction to the earth through flood. And that's so comforting to us to know that his heart says, I won't do that again. I will never do that again. He set a rainbow in the clouds as a sign of that covenant. And that rainbow still surrounds the throne of God. It's still in his face all the time, an everlasting covenant that he would not destroy us. So that's a blessing. And that's a that's a security for us. The second covenant we talked about was the Abrahamic covenant. And this is the one where God told Abraham, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And um, this is the one where a lot of the the promises that we see in the word started with his promise to Abraham. So that's found in Genesis 12 and also Genesis 15. Genesis 15 is where um, God God the Father and God the Son walked through the pieces of the sacrifice while Abram was asleep. So we enter into that covenant through rest. There's nothing that we'd have to do to add to it. It's a gift given to us. In the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7, that was also an unconditional covenant with David, that there would be there would always be a descendant of David on the throne of God. Uh, on the throne of Israel. So there would always be the seed of David. And Jesus fulfilled that. Um, and 
the sure mercies of David, they talk about that's the covenant. And the sure mercies always looked forward to the promise of a, a seed of David sitting on the throne. And again, that was, it, it became a focal point for the looking for the Messiah. And so that's the sure mercies of David. Now we have the Mosaic Covenant. That's where we kind of took the most time last time. Um, the Mosaic Covenant in Exodus 19 and also reinforced in Exodus 24. Um, that is the covenant that God established with the people of Israel um, on Mount Sinai when he brought them out of Egypt. And his intention was to make them a kingdom of priests, to have a one-on-one relationship with all of them. And they ch- said, no, Moses, you go and speak for us. You tell us what to do. We will obey everything that you say. And so this is where it switched. It turned into a conditional covenant, a vassal covenant. And because of that, um, it became a covenant of both blessing and curses. The other covenants were strictly blessings. But the covenant with with Israel in Exodus 19 became a covenant of both blessings and curses. Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. And the curses seem to far outweigh the blessings a lot of times um, because there was there were so many ways to violate the covenant without without the law there is no transgression but once there's a law there's more and more opportunity to break that law and to and to have transgressions so um, it introduced a system of acknowledge and acknowledging sin and of providing a temporary remedy for sin so in all the other covenants Sin wasn't even considered. It wasn't issued. It wasn't entered into, factored in at all. The um, the covenant with Abraham wasn't changed when Abraham sinned. The covenant with with the earth didn't change when Noah sinned. It was all always an everlasting covenant. The covenant with David didn't change when he sinned. But the covenant with Moses in the and the children of Israel that became um, very sin conscious, sin focused covenant. Um, the law itself is righteous, but it doesn't have the power to make anyone righteous. And it doesn't make have the power to make us unblemished before God. And um, the Romans 3.20 says that no one is made righteous in the sight of God by obedience to the law. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So um, so this is where we are. And they had, we went over that. It wasn't satisfying to God ultimately, and it wasn't satisfying to the to the children of Israel. So we're going to pick up here in uh, Zechariah 11, um, verse number four. This is where um, God and Israel became weary with the covenant, and God offered a way to break the covenant with the children of Israel. So starting in verse four, it says, "Thus says the Lord: Feed the feed the flock for slaughter." whose owners slaughter them and feel no guilt. Those who sell them and say, bless the Lord, I am made rich. (laughs) So these people are selling, these shepherds are selling off the sheep and are getting rich off of them. So they have no heart for the people of God. And um, for I will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land. So God is just tired of it. These religious leaders that don't have a heart for God's people. And it says, but indeed, I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king. And they shall, they shall, the king shall attack the land and I will not deliver them from their hand. 
Okay, so this is the judgment. If you look at, um, I don't have it written up, but uh, John 19:15 at the crucifixion when Jesus was being judged, and um, the Jews said, um, "We have no king but Caesar." So at that point, they said, "We don't want any other king but Caesar." They rejected the king of the son of David, the king of Israel. They rejected him. He said, we have no king of Caesar, but Caesar. So in this verse here, it says, I will give them over to their king and that king will destroy them. And we see that they rejected the seat of David as their king. And 40 years later, Rome came in and destroyed Jerusalem. It it completely fulfills that prophecy. Um, In 70 AD, when Rome seized um, Jerusalem, it caused mass destruction and it brought a destruction to the temple. That's when the temple was destroyed. In verse 7 it says, So I fed I fed the flock for slaughter, in particular the poor of the flock. And I took for myself two staffs, one called beauty and the other bonds. And I fed the flock. So the beauty and bonds represents the covenant. And I dismissed, I dismissed the three shepherds in one month. My soul loathed them and their soul loathed me. So this was, there was this hatred that was going on between the the people that were called to be the leaders in Israel and God himself. So there was this, this um, hostility that had grown. And he said, then I said, I will not feed you. Let what is dying die and what is perishing perish. And that reminds me of um, Hebrews 8.13 where it says the first covenant was made obsolete. It was ready to vanish away. It says, what's, let what's dying die. Let it wither. Let those who are left eat each other's flesh. That actually happened in the, in the siege of Jerusalem. There was actually cannibalism when the, um, the Jerusalem was surrounded and, and the children of Israel, the Jews that were locked inside, they ended up eating each other. So, um, this is, it was a very horrible, horrible tragedy that happened, but this was all prophesied because they rejected the covenant that they had with God. And I took my staff beauty and I cut it in two that I might break the covenant which I had made with all the peoples. So it was that on that day, thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages. And if not, refrain. So they weighed out my wages for me, 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and I threw it into the house of the Lord for the potter. So 30 pieces of silver, you know, talk about sarcasm. And God said that that princely price they laid on me, 30 pieces of silver in Exodus 21, that was the price of a wounded slave. Okay. So in Exodus, they have all the, because they had all the regulations. If you had an ox that had attacked your, you know, servant, you know, one of your neighbor had an ox that had gored your servant. Um, the price for for recovery is 30 pieces of silver. That's that's the price for that. If if the ox had killed your son, they had to pay whatever price you set. I could say a trillion. They would have to pay it. But 30 pieces of silver. That was it was an insignificant. I mean, it was significant number because of what it meant. You know, it meant. The wounded slave, that was the price they thought God was worth. Okay. And so we see that the prophecy was fulfilled in uh, Matthew 26 and 27. So we'll start in Matthew 26, verses 14 through 15. 
Then one of the twelve, Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So this is exactly when God said, you give me the price and and I'll pay it. And then so Judas said, what are you willing to give me? And they said, "Okay, 30 pieces of silver. And they these are men. These are the chief priests. These are the ones that know the scriptures, probably one of the only people who knew how to read. You know, they were well aware of the scripture and they knew what they were doing at this time. This was not coincidental. And so in um, Matthew 27, starting in verse 3, um, so this is after they had taken hold of Jesus. Jesus was being condemned to death. And Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned, betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? You see to it. So then he threw down the 30 pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself so this is i throw it in the temple of the house of the lord from zechariah that's what it says he threw it down but the chief priest took the silver pieces and said it's not lawful for us to keep it in the treasury because this is the price of blood and so they consulted together they checked what the word says to what to do with it they consulted together and they bought the potter's field to bury strangers in. And therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then it was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, They took 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who is priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. So this right here, many biblical historians believe this might have been a scribal error because there's not anything in our records of Jeremiah that talk about 30 pieces of silver. There's something that talks about the potter's field, but it's a completely different story out of the potter's field. So this where it says, as was spoken by Jeremiah, probably should have said Zechariah in this point. Um, but so they're thinking there might have been a scribal error over the years that just got a little bit changed. Um, but we can see where it is in the word. And so here now the 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 covenant is broken by and God um breaks the Mosaic covenant and he uh he decides to begin a new covenant. He establishes a new covenant with the house of Israel. Um, and so we're going to go into Hebrews 8, 7. It says, if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. So the first covenant is the Mosaic covenant. And so according to the New Testament writers, is basically it's either first or second, old and new. They really only consider those two covenants. Then I think it's because they're both with the house of Israel. It's the first covenant with the house of Israel and the second covenant with the house of Israel. So the first one is the covenant with Moses. The second one, the new and better one, is the one that we have been included in. And that's the new covenant. In Hebrews 10, 8 and 9, uh, it says Jesus uh, previously saying sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in, which were offered according to the law. But he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. So this is again confirming that God said this, the sin offering sacrifice I had no pleasure in. And so Jesus said, I'll come to do your will <laughs> and I'll take away the first to establish the second. So I'll establish the new and better one. So that is our new covenant. And that's found in uh, Jeremiah 31, 
Um, and starting in verse 34. So this, just to say, this is an unconditional covenant. This is a grant covenant um, that God would make a new covenant unlike the one that Israel had broken. So this is a completely different covenant. And this is this is so exciting to me. I love talking about the new covenant just because there was so many years in my in my walk that I didn't realize there was a difference. And so you read something out of the Old Testament and try to apply it to yourself and it's not applying and it's not hitting and it's not bringing freedom. And when I realized, no, (laughs) that's passed away. It's all new now. And it just brought me so much joy and freedom. So this is one of my favorite topics. So anywho, moving right along, um, this new covenant would bring forgiveness of sin and internal renewal of the heart. So it's not an external thing. And it would bring an intimate knowledge of God. And then on the night of the Last Supper in Luke 22, Jesus takes the cup of his death and inaugurates the new covenant. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. So we'll go back to Jeremiah 31 because this is going to be our foundation for today. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the days that I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was a husband, I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer shall shall each teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Amen. So remember that no more is a double emphasis. No way, no more. I will never, ever remember their sins. So this covenant, there's four corners in the new covenant. So the the first one is direction. So where he said that I will I will put my laws in your heart, that he he's bringing direction from the inside. So he's bringing internal direction, not not external instruction. So this is not um a cage to keep us in. It's a guide to to draw us out. Um, he talks about the new covenant also in Ezekiel 36, verses 24 to 27. It says, I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. So it's complete forgiveness. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and keep, and you will keep my judgments and do them. So a lot of times people think that, you know, if you give people the the flat on forgiveness, like <laughs> hardcore no chaser forgiveness that you really have in Christ, that that's going to cause people to want to break every rule there is, you know, and that's not really true. It's like we have to trust the Holy Spirit on the inside of people. God gave you a new heart that's soft towards him. 
He gives you a heart that desires him and desires to be pleasing to him. And it's not a matter of being his servant. We're his sons and we love our father. So we, so we, we get his heart about things. We know how he starts, how he thinks about things. And so he, he gives us a heart towards him. So, so like we're in the old covenant, it says, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. That's not our prayer anymore. We have a clean heart. We have a new spirit inside of us. We don't have the old one anymore. And God gives us his very own spirit. We have a new spirit, and then we have his very own spirit living inside of us too. Um, where he says, I will put my law in them. This is not the law from Exodus. That's not the law that he's putting on the inside of us. It's the law that Jesus gave his disciples. He said, I give you a new commandment. That um, this is in uh, John 13, 34. It says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's the rule. I have loved you, and also you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is our calling card is love. Okay. So the next thing that we have in this new covenant is security. He said, he said, I will be their God. They will be my people. It's not an if they do this, then I'll be their God. It's this is the way it is. I will be their God. They will be my people. And it's an um, we forever belong to him. We are held close in his hand. Um, Hebrews 8.10 says, and this this is Hebrews is repeating um, the Jeremiah verse. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, that I will put my laws in their minds, write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Hebrews 13.5 says that he himself has said that I will never leave you or forsake you. So this is the security that we have in Christ. The next thing we have in this new covenant is access. We all have equal access. And it says, from the least to the greatest, all will know me. So there's no more hierarchy. There's no more exclusions. Um, It's a wide open space for people to come and receive from the Lord. Um, In the message translation, Hebrews 8.11 says, I will be their God. They will be my people. They won't go to school and learn about me or buy a book called God in Five Easy Lessons. They'll all know me firsthand, the little and the big, the small and the great. Amen. So this is not something we're going to, because we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. He's the unction on the inside of us that's teaching us all things, and we can respond to his voice. In Amos 9, um, 11 and 12, it says, On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and repair its damages. And I will raise up the ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. And they, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by name, by my name, says the Lord. So the access that we have is not, is now not limited to the Jews, but it's also open to the Gentiles. So the tabernacle of David was different from the tabernacle of Moses. If you if you look at the diagrams, tabernacle of Moses, it was more like the temple in its structure. It had the outer court, the inner court, and the most holy places, and there were curtains be, um, separating people. And you could not even go, only the high priest could go into the most holy place only once a year. So this was because that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where that was held. And so, but there were all these layers of distance between the people and where God was. 
And then David, he set up his tabernacle. So after they left Obed-Edom's house, there was a situation that happened. They were trying to get the Ark of the Covenant back from their enemies. They carried it the wrong way. Somebody died. And so so David just left it at this Gentile's house and said, we're going to leave it here till we figure out how to not let anybody die. So at the time, God was blessing Obed-Edom's house the whole time. And so jealous, uh, David got jealous. He went and said, we're going to get it back. And he set up his tabernacle, which was a tent, and it was open. It was completely open. Anybody could see the Ark of the Covenant at any time. The glory of God was there, and anybody could have this face-to-face relationship with God. It was an amazing thing that happened in the middle of the Old Covenant, but because David had a heart after God, and that's really where God's heart was. He wanted to be with his people. He's always wanted to be with them. So, And, and so I, I think it's interesting, too, that of all the things, you know, he's God didn't promise to rebuild the, the temple. He didn't promise to rebuild the structure of Moses. He said, I'm going to rebuild David's tabernacle. And so um, so everybody, Jews and Gentiles, would come and worship there. So when when they set up the tent, what happened was Obed-Edom, he ended up being one of the doorkeepers there. So it was not only just the Jews that were celebrating in front of the temple or in, in front of that tabernacle. It was Jews and Gentiles in that unique situation uh, in David's time. And so God said, I'm going to rebuild that. I like that. That looks good to me. And in Acts 15, um, James recognized that. So when Acts 15, when they had the council in Jerusalem and there was a debate about whether or not Gentiles could get saved, they, he, James said, this is what Amos was talking about, that I was going to rebuild the t- tabernacle of David. So this is, this is that which was spoken. So, so that's, um, that was a fulfillment of the prophecy to restore the tabernacle of David. And so finally, the final corner or the pillar in the uh, covenant, in the new covenant is forgiveness, which is our main subject. Um, forgiveness, God is merciful and he remembers our sins no more. Our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. Not only are our sins forgiven, he treats us as though they never occurred. Um, they are not uh, imputed or added to our account. So when we think of imputed, you know, we always think of imputed righteousness. You know, when, when, um, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That imputed, that's an accounting term. It's a reckoning where it's added to the account. Um, but God says that he would not impute our sins to us. He's not going to even add them to our account anymore. So that's so powerful. And, and Hebrews uh, 8, 12, um, and I'm reading from the voice translation, which might be a little different. It says, I will be merciful when they fail. And I will erase their sins and their wicked acts out of my memory as though they had never existed. Yes. Amen. In Romans 4, 2 through 8, um, this is a passage talking about um, the difference between uh, righteousness under the law and righteousness by faith. And it's talking about Abraham. If Abraham, starting in verse 2, if Abraham was justified by the works or by obedience, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, 
the wages are not counted as grace but debt. So basically it's saying if if it's something that he could earn, then it's not grace anymore. Okay. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from the works. Okay. So this is that you believe that God justifies the ungodly. That's faith. Okay. That just seems so backwards to our religious mind. It's like, how can ungodly people be justified? But God says there are. This is because faith is what justifies you. It's not about your behavior. It's about your faith. So just as David described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works or apart from um, behavioral obedience. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. Amen. So this one, he does not impute sin, and that is that shall not impute sin. That's also a double emphasis. That's the same as the Jeremiah, no way, never, ever. He will never, ever impute sin. And so that is um, right there where he was talking. He was actually quoting, I think, Psalm 32. Is That was where that is pulled from. Um, and so the new covenant is one where God justifies and makes righteous the ungodly, imperfect, undeserving people. Yay, that's us. <laughs> uh, if we can believe that, we are counted as righteous. God is love and love keeps no record of wrong. First Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not... It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Amen. So our God is love. So you can put, like um, Pat was saying, that you can actually put God's name in. We could put our name in there, too. But God is patient. He's kind. He keeps no record of wrong. He's not easily angered. That's not who our God is. Our God is love. And Jesus told us that we can love each other with that love that he's given us. And as I have loved you, you so love one another. So we can pass that love on to others and not keeping records of wrong. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4 It says, if you, God, kept records of our wrongdoings, who could stand a chance? But as it turns out, forgiveness is your habit, and that's why you're worshipped. We worship you because you forgive us, and you keep no record of wrong. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. So this is talking about um, Jesus and what he did on the cross. This is about the finished work of Christ. Um, Starting in verse 17, we're all familiar with this, but... um, this is really good, <laughs> but I like it, so we're going to read it. Second um, Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And this is the ministry of reconciliation: that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. 
So here again, he's not imputing trespasses to us, to us. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So this is, this is what we've been entrusted with. This is the message that, that we give people is God is not imputing your trespasses to them. So when, you know, we're not to go out and just blast people on their sin. That's not what God, what Jesus came for. He came to not impute their, impute their trespasses. And that's why he's worshiped. That's why he, that's why people are drawn to him. It's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. And, um, so then verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when you look at everything in context, some of these verses are so familiar because we just, you know, shoot off one over here, one over here. But when you look at it in context and looked at the whole picture, it's so beautiful. And this is what we have. So God has, we, God has already reconciled the world to himself. He's already embraced us all. But our mission as ambassadors for Christ is to let people know, I think the message translation is, God's your friend, why don't you be his friend? You know, it's like he's friends with you, you be friends with him. So it, it extends this hand out. Um, the next one, I'm going to, God, the new covenant brought everlasting righteousness. And dearly, I didn't give you this one. It's uh, Daniel 9, verse 24. And I'm just going to refer to this one real quick. Um, and this is a, a prophecy. Um, a lot of times it's attributed to the end times, but it looks to me more like it's at the end of the old covenant age. Um, and he's and he's telling Daniel about what's going to happen to the people of Israel. And he said, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for the holy city. So 70 weeks. If you look at it, that's 70 times 7. That's how many times you forgive 70 times 7. So that's like a picture of complete forgiveness. So 70 weeks are determined for my people and for your holy city. And this is like 70 weeks of years. Is He was, he was giving a timeline of when the Messiah would come. 70 weeks are determined for your people, for your holy city. This is what Jesus did to finish the transgression to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy. This is what Jesus did. He brought in everlasting righteousness. He made an end of sins. He just brought an end to the consequence of sin for us. There is no more penalty for us. And if we go on to verse 27, he will confirm the covenant with many for one week. So when when in this timeline, if you read it through um, the 70 weeks of years, Jesus came at the beginning of the 70th week and halfway through that the three years of ministry. It started from uh, when he was baptized in the Jordan. Three and a half years later is when he was crucified. So that's that's where it says halfway through the week. In the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So this is what he did. He brought an end to the old covenant sacrifice. That's why Hebrews said, you know, now that Jesus has come, there's no more sacrifice for sin. You know, there is there is no more the the blood of bulls and goats can't do anything for you anymore. He brought an end to that whole system by his sacrifice and by his blood. Jesus is our lamb. He is the lamb of God. 
Um, and so we're going to, I'm just going to give you some verses that talk about Je- Jesus being our lamb. In John 1, 29, and this is talking about John the Baptist, when when John saw Jesus coming, he, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus takes away the sins of the world. In Isaiah 59, uh, 9 and 10, um, when God was talking about the new covenant, he said, this would be like the days of Noah to me. So just like there's a, a rainbow circling the throne that reminds him all the time and it's an everlasting covenant, this covenant is just as sure. It says, I swore that the waters will no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, I will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love will not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So he has made a covenant of peace with us. Romans 11:26, And in this way, all Israel shall be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion and his he will banish the ungodliness from Jacob so he's removing the sin and i will and this will be my covenant with them when i take away their sins so he takes away our sins first john 3 5 and you know that that he was manifested to take away our sins so it keeps going over and over and why do we still carry sin with us like it's an issue he's taken it away he's removed it out of the way it says in him there is no sin. First Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6. It says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at a proper time. So he is our ransom. He is the payment of everything that to satisfy. He fulfilled the old covenant. He brought an end to it. Um, in Romans 4:25, he was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. So I heard it said this way. So when when he died on the cross, it paid for our sins, and his resurrection is our receipt that we're justified. So that's our receipt. If he's if he was raised from the dead, then we are free from our sin. And it's like it says. I know there's another verse. I don't have it written down. It says, if Christ is not raised, you're still dead in your sin. But he is raised, so we're free from our sin. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, the handwriting of requirements were also nailed to the cross. There is no longer any judgment against us. By doing this, he completely disarmed the accuser. Amen. So Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15 says, and you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision, uncircumcision of your flesh, thank you, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him amen so all the all the legal requirements everything that every law that we could have broken is nailed to the cross and every decree that we had that we had broken everything that said guilty 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 that was all nailed to the cross the accuser is silenced through that if god is for us who can be against us amen um 
how forgiven are we? How can we say that we're forgiven past, present, and future? All of our sins were future when, when Jesus died, right? So uh, his one sacrifice for sins forever took care of everything. And that's Hebrews 10, 12. If you think of it this way, God is outside of time, right? So he has a parade view of us. If we're looking from the ground, we're seeing our birth our adolescence, our adulthood, and we're seeing things like in this timeline. Um, and so we have stuff in the future that we don't know about. We have stuff in our past that we feel guilty about. But God sees the end from the beginning. He's looking from an aerial view, and he sees it all is forgiven, and it's all under his blood. And we need to trust his view. He's got a better perspective than we have, okay? So we need to trust what he says about us. And so we can meditate on what you look like from God's perspective. That's our homework for this week. (laughs) Meditate on what you look like, sin-free from God's perspective. We are perfectly forgiven and justified before him. We are his delight. Amen. So um, um, I'll give you one more verse, and and then we'll close for tonight. 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. John says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation or he is the atonement for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Amen. So next week we'll go in a little bit deeper about silencing the accuser against us. <laughs> so we all have to listen to him. We'll have an answer for him. Amen. Amen. Well, Father God, we thank you for your word to us today. We just thank you uh, for the seed sown that it's going to uh that's going to take root. I thank you for the transformation that happens when we look into your law of liberty, Lord God. We just thank you that as we behold you, we are changed from glory to glory and from faith to faith, Father. We draw near to you and you draw near to us. We thank you for that, Lord God. And Father, we commit this to you, Father God. We thank you, Holy Spirit, to continue the work uh, while we're away. And Father God, we just thank you. We pray for our, our church members, Father God. We just thank you that you send your word to heal and deliver them from all destruction, Lord God. We just thank you that we prosper and we are in health as our souls prosper, Lord God. And I just I, I take authority over any symptom, any diagnosis. We break your power in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord God, for your blood that speaks better things, Lord God. I thank you that your blood speaks better things than any diagnosis, Lord God, that your name is above every name, Jesus. I thank you that you have a name higher than every other name. And at your name, every knee will bow. Every diagnosis will bow. Every symptom will bow in Jesus name and we thank you for that Lord God and we bless you we praise you we thank you for daily loading us with your benefits they thank you for overwhelming us with your kindness for your healing with your forgiveness and we just bless you we praise your mighty name father we ask that you bless our pastors as they minister overseas father God we just thank you for healings and miracles for your people, Lord God. We just thank you for uh, favor every day, increasing the favor on them every day, Father God. We just thank you for opening doors that no man can close, Father God. I just thank you that you've made a clear path for them to travel. Thank you for bringing them back safely, Father God. And uh, we just uh, we bless you. We love you so much. We thank you for your goodness to us today. In Jesus' name, 